Well, good morning. It is so good to be back with you today. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? I am. I really am. To all of you who shook my hand and hugged my neck, I've got bad news for you. I'm just getting over the stomach flu. And so go home and bleach your hands. In fact, you may want to just cut them off. Just cut them off. I, you know, I'm not sure what this means, but I want to tell you a story. We uh, went to prayer meeting yesterday. Uh, we have prayer meeting at, at 9 o'clock. And uh, so I have this real aversion to, uh, to, to having stomach flu, uh, the upper part, you know. And so I, I actually prayed. I said, Lord, I prayed out loud, too. I said, Lord, I, said, I, I have to admit, I have, I have a fear that I'm going to get sick. So would you please just watch out for me? An hour later, I was sick. So I say that to say this. You don't always get the answer you want from God, but he'll go with you. Amen? He'll go with you. And the rain, it, it won't rain always. The sun is going to shine. Now, if you're a guest here today, um, if this sermon doesn't come out very well, would you give me another shot next week? It's a scary thing. I'm, when, I, when I do my sermon preparation, I, I kind of do it the crockpot method. I pick my scripture out usually a couple weeks before, and I do the sermon sheet on Monday, and then I just let it, I just read, I get references and stuff, and I just kind of put it in the crock pot, you know, and let it stew. And then I get up on Sunday morning and put my final thoughts down. Do you know how frightening it is to look at your sheet at 9 o'clock and there's nothing written on it? It's a pretty scary thought. So if it doesn't come out quite well today, would you just give me one more shot next week? But we want to talk today about, well, not really about hunting unicorns, but sort of, kind of. Now, you know, of course, and I know, that there is no such animal as a unicorn. But there are people in this world who search and search and search looking for this, this animal, this mystical animal that does not exist. And they'll keep searching, believing. Bigfoot's another one. They keep looking and looking and looking for Bigfoot, and Bigfoot never is there. The Loch Ness Monster, they keep looking and looking. They've got a few fuzzy photographs, and they keep looking for something. They keep hunting for something that does not exist. And here's the deal I know. I'm not much of a hunter. Uh, in fact, we're over there, we're over there in Africa, and, and the dude, the chief dude, gave us, um, gave us three chickens... A goat and 20 pounds of potatoes. And the lady who had been going to this village looked at me and said, Now, you have to cut the goat's throat. I said, No, I don't. And she said, Yes, you do. And I looked at firmly and said, No, I don't. I think I've shot a squirrel in my life, but I didn't even clean that. I just don't do much hunting and cleaning of anything. But, but there, there are folks who look for these animals, but here's what I know. If the animal doesn't exist, no matter how you try, you'll never find it. You can hunt, you get the best equipment, you can have the best strategies, but if it doesn't exist, you'll never find it. And that's what I want to talk about today. Not about unicorns, but about something that we practice in our Christianity called partial obedience. Partial obedience. You see, in American culture, well, really, as you're going to see today, it happened in the Old Testament. It, it happened in the early church, at least some. But it's gotten progressively worse. And that is that we, in American culture, as long as we're doing mostly what God says to do, we kind of think that's enough. And guess what? It's not. It's not enough to please our Father, nor is it enough for Him to give us the abundant life 
that he wants to give us. Now take your Bibles and look at an incredible scripture back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll be starting reading verse number 7. 1 Samuel 15, starting to read in verse number 7. Now, now what we got going on here is one of the times I need just to explain a little bit what's happening. Okay, God has appointed Saul as, um, as king. The people wanted a king. They rejected God as their king. And they wanted a king like other nations. So God gave them Saul. And probably the biggest thing that Saul had going for himself to be king was that he was big. He stood head and shoulders amongst the rest. So he looked very kingly. He just had a hard time acting very kingly. And so God comes to, to Saul and says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to, to completely destroy the Amalekites. Now, if you remember a couple of sermons back, we talked about how the Amalekites, the reason why uh, God was wanting them driven out of the land was because they were such an evil society. They, they offered their children on the, on the altar of sacrifice and they treated their children or their, their wives just horribly. Okay? And here's what the Amalekites did that really fired God up. When the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, as they were going along, the Amalekites came along in the back and attacked the tail end of this long train of, of, of Israelites as they walked along. Now, as you know, you can probably figure out who is it that usually brings up the rear. It's usually the weaker ones. Well, in this case, it was the, it was the handicapped people, it was the senior adults, and it was the very young children. And the Amalekites came along and began killing and attacking that rear guard. And it really fired God up. And God said over in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, I believe it is, He said, don't you ever forget how the Amalekites snuck up behind you and how they attacked your weakest people. Don't ever forget that because one day we will annihilate them, we will remove them from the face of the earth. And that time has now come. So God has told Saul to go and totally, completely destroy the Amalekites. Okay? And we pick up verse number 7 with a story now well underway. The Bible says this, Then Saul struck down the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is next to Egypt. Now watch this. He captured, now time out, time out. What did God say to Saul to do the Amalekites? Totally annihilate, totally destroy. Say totally destroy. Now, I'm, again, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, okay? But I'm telling you, totally means totally. But we see instantly that Saul comes along and captures the king Ahab. Now, why did he do this? Well, see, here's the deal. When you are the conquering king, the greatest trophy that you could bring back, the greatest trophy was not the head of the king, but the king alive. So you could bring him back to your people and have him bow down before you in submission. And that showed what a powerful king that you were. So one thing we know automatically is that Saul did not totally obey the Lord. In fact, he did not obey the Lord. And he did so for pride issues. Okay, so he keeps Ahab alive. They completely destroyed all the rest of the people. Isn't that weird? He, he kept what would make him look good, but had no problem killing the women, the children, and the infants. Very interesting. Very interesting. 
He captured Ahab alive and completely destroyed all the rest of the people in sword. Saul and the troops spared Ahab and the best of the sheep, the cattle and the choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all that was worthless and unwanted things. So, so we see the people saving the very best. Now you're going to see later on that, that their, their, their point of contention was we saved these things for God. But we don't find that. Most theologians believe that they were keeping these items for themselves. They wanted the plunder of the spoils of war. Okay? Notice they had no problem destroying the things that were unwanted and, and worthless, but had a big problem keeping the things that were very good. And that's how we are with sin. If I would ask you today, in this room, how many of you have a really um, hard time not uh, not taking drugs. That, that, you know, keeping the drug culture out of your life. Now, there might be some people in this room who are wrestling with drugs issue. Okay, that would be an issue for you. But most of us, okay, would say, you know, drugs aren't a part of my life. Okay? So we would say, boy, I don't have any problem with that, that thing. But at the same time, we'll get on the, on the phone and we'll gossip like crazy. And we'll say, but yeah, but I'm not taking drugs. See? See, see the point? We'll take sins that we don't do and say, but yeah, God, I'm not doing that. And then other sins will justify and say, but at least I'm not doing that, God. You know, Lord, I'm not, you know, Lord, I'm not having an affair. Now, now I hook up with porn every night after my wife goes to bed, but at least I'm not having an affair. See, and so what we do is we take the sins that are easy for us to, to not do and hope that offsets the sins that we so willingly do. And the sins we so willing do are often the sins of the heart. So if people took the things that were worthless and unwanted, they had no problem getting rid of those, the three-legged goats. They didn't want a three-legged goat. They had no problem getting rid of that. But the choice sheep, they said, we, we just can't destroy this stuff. I mean, this would really be an opportunity to bolster our economic situation. So they decided to keep those. Now, the Bible says in verse number 10... Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel and said, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. It grieved God that Saul had not followed him. Can I bring something to the 21st century? Hear me please this morning. It grieves the heart of God. When we don't obey him. Ephesians chapter 4 says. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Where you were sealed to the day of redemption. And when, and when we choose to disobey God. When we choose to sin against God. As followers of Jesus Christ. It grieves his heart. I think for a couple of reasons. One because it's just flat out dis, dis, uh, disobedience. But every time we disobey we're not living the life that God called us to live. That marvelous, wonderful, abundant life that God's called us to live. Remember, this book is not just a book of rules. It's a guidebook. It's an instruction book on how to do life the most abundant way. And when we choose to rebel against God and not do what God says, we're missing the very best that God has for us. So it grieved God. It broke God's heart. There's an old song that says, does he still feel the pain every time I sin? Does he still feel the nails 
every time I sin? Do my actions say crucify him again? So God's heart was grieved when, the, when Saul, the king he put in place, chose to disobey him. And I'm going to tell you, it grieves the heart of God for us also. So this also, notice, notice it bothered Samuel. When, when he heard that, that God was disappointed in Saul, it grieved him too. May I dare say that the things that grieve God should grieve us? Can I have an amen? The things that grieve God, should it not grieve us? Why, why is it that we're so easy to allow things that break the heart of God not to face us? Well, we'll get all fired up if the building's too hot or too cold. We'll get fired up about other things. But, but when a, abortion is rampant in America, I, someone was telling me about a, a picture of a same-sex couple here in Harrisburg and how they got married. And that doesn't fire us up at all, too. Because it grieves the heart of God. When we sin. And Saul, Samuel said, God, it grieves me that your man has sinned. And issues such as abortion, homosexuality, in the context of marriage, all those different things. It should break our hearts where our country is today. I'm going to tell you something. I'll just share something with you. You know, when I go over to uh, Africa... You don't have an alcohol problem. You don't have the homosexual issue. You don't have child abuse. They don't have Jesus. But morally, in so many ways, they're closer on track than we as Americans are. It's just kind of weird. It's just kind of strange. So Samuel grieved the entire night long. And so early in the morning, he said, I'm going to go confront. Notice their sin. So he's going to confront Saul with the sin. And they said, hey, have you seen Saul? Oh, yeah, we saw him down by Carmel. He's building an altar to himself. He was so proud of what he had done and obeying God that he's going to build a monument for this victory. And when Samuel shows up, what does Saul say? May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the instructions of the Lord. I have succeeded. I have done all that God wanted us to do. And you know what Samuel said? I love this line. Okay. So, if you did exactly what God wanted you to do, why am I hearing the bleating of sheep and the lowing of cattle? So, if, if you had obeyed, if you have obeyed the Lord and the Lord's command was completely destroy all the animals, all the gold, all the silver, all the people. If you've done that, why am I hearing sheep on that? Why am I hearing? Now, I was going to ask Mike Oshel, but I think I can say this with confidence. Evidence. Trump's testimony every time. You can get on a, a court of law and stand up and raise your right hand and swear to tell the truth. But if they have concrete evidence, something to the contrary, your testimony becomes worthless. In this case, even though Saul says, may the Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions, the evidence says otherwise. 
So with that thought in mind, what does your internet log say? Your internet history? What does it say? What, what does your checkbook say? What does your calendar say? What does your favorites on your television shows say? Because the evidence outweighs the words every single time. And, 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 and they say, the truth, you see, Lord, verse number, verse number 15, the truth brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep and cattle Lord, to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we've destroyed. It's so cool. Lord, we destroyed, but it's the truth. They're the ones who can't. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. And man, Samuel just gets fired up. And, and verse number 16, he says, stop, wait, quit. And think of the boldness of this, because he's the king. He says, no, stop, wait. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He, he replied, and Samuel continued, Although you once considered yourself unimportant, have you not become the leader of the tribe of Israel? Saul, do you remember a time when you were a nobody? Do you remember a time when you were not a king, that you were just a nobody, and God took you and made you somebody? Hey, Followers of Jesus. Got any followers of Jesus here today? Got some more followers of Jesus here today? Do you remember there was a day that you're lost and you're going to hell? You are doomed, eternally separated from God. And there was, Terry, there was nothing you could do about it. You, you couldn't go to church enough. You couldn't get dumped enough. You couldn't give enough money. There was nothing you could do. And then Jesus did it all. He took you from being a nobody and made you somebody in the glorious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took you from totally depraved and lost to saved and on your way to heaven. And He did something only He could do. God did that for you. God did that for you. But Saul forgot. He let it, listen, listen, listen. He got it in his head. I'm king. And we get in our heads, hey, I'm going to heaven. And eventually, if we're not careful, we get to a point where we start thinking that somehow we merited heaven and we forget. And when we start forgetting, we start rationalizing and disobeying God and saying, I am obeying God. So Samuel says, no, stop, stop. You were once a nobody, and God made you somebody. He anointed you the king of Israel. And then watch this. Watch, 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 watch. He sent you on a mission. And the mission was to totally annihilate, totally destroy the Amalekites because of what they had done. The righteous judgment of God. You're going to be His instrument of righteous judgment. See? It's a two-step process. We forget... That we were a nobody, and God made us somebody. And then we forget that He made us somebody for a reason. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we were lost and totally depraved, separated from God, and on our way to hell. 
He made us somebody by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice made on an old rugged cross, and our sins were forgiven, but He didn't save us just to sit. He saved us for the purpose, for the mission, and that is to tell this world that Jesus Christ died for them. This is what, this is what Samuel's saying. He gave you a mission. He, he changed you for a purpose. In church, he changed us for a purpose. I think about parents. I think about parents and God has given you those children to mold and shape their lives. Pastors. He gives pastors the, the leadership role of church to mold and shape the church. Not like as a pastor would want. But as God would want. And we forget that. We forget that. And poor Saul. Look, look at verse number number uh, twenty. But 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 I did obey the Lord. He answers. I went on the mission, kind of. The Lord gave me, and I brought back King Ahag, king of the Amalekites. I I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The troops, you know, it was the troops. Samuel wasn't me. It was the troops. The troops took the sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was set apart for destruction. To sacrifice the Lord your God at Gilgal. Don't, don't you understand, Samuel? Don't you understand that it was the troops that did that? And I brought the king back because it seemed like such a trivial thing. Do you think we do have a God? Do you ever, do you ever like, bargain with God in your prayer life? Yeah, but God, you know, if you give me this, then I would do that. Did you know I had a guy in Africa sit there? And, and I said, you, this is one of the ones I said, you know about Jesus? And he knew a little bit about Jesus. He said this. He said, if Jesus would heal me, then I would follow him. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> How did America get over West Africa? You know, you know Lord, I, I, listen, I, I followed the command. I did. I did what you told me to do. It says troops that they didn't follow. But here's the nugget. Here's what I want you to take home today. Then Samuel said, now listen, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? I think he's saying this. Assuming that the troops really intended to offer sacrifices with these animals, which would God more appreciate? Sacrifices and burnt offerings or obeying his word? And the answer is obeying his word. And assuming that this is the burnt offerings and sacrifices, because these were there, this didn't happen. If these animals had been offered to God when they killed the Amalekites, then there would have been obedience. Because the animals are there, no matter how you take these animals, no matter how you play it, I'm going to offer them to God on the altar of sacrifice. There cannot be obedience because there's no such thing as partial obedience. It's kind of like partial truth. As soon as you add something that's not true to the truth, it's no longer truth. It's a lie. And when we are not obedient 100% with God, we call it partial obedience. And there's no such thing. You're hunting unicorns. 
And the reason why we suffer so much in our Christian walk, the reason we have no joy so often, the reason we struggle with things so much is because we try to blend partial obedience into our lives. And God can't and God won't honor that. He goes on and says something else. Look, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. God says, before you start sacrificing your time and your money and your talents, I want you to obey my word. Jesus said this. If you love me, give your tithes. So he said. If you love me, go to church. If you love me, keep my commands. In obedience and following God's commands, we are shouting to the God of creation. We love you. God equates that obedience and our love for him. This is almost frightening what I'm fixing to read. Verse 23. For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. The, the uh, Holman Christian used the word divination. But the King James uses witchcraft. I knew you'd get a hold of that. How, how, many, how many of y'all would, would just willingly practice witchcraft? Anybody? Anybody in this room? But you see what it says? That when we disobey, when we rebel against God, it's like the sin of witchcraft. So the next time we're tempted to do our own thing, even though we know it's wrong and it's against God's word, God says, you might as well go out and commit witchcraft. That's incredible, isn't it? Does that show the weight that God places on obedience? He goes on and says this. Defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Now, you know why? See, when you choose, when you choose to disobey God, friends, you're basically saying, I obey that God more than this God, the creator God. And that's why he said it's like, it's like rebellion, it's like, it's like, um, it's like idolatry. Because when you tell God no, then you're telling another God yes. The God might be you. The God might be the popularity in high school. But you can't serve both. And whatever God you're saying yes to is the God you're serving. And he says, man, this this, this disobedience thing, when you chose to rebel against the Father, that's like idolatry. And look at the cost. And for that sin, God rejected Saul as king. Let me close with this. Are you with me? So many of us are going to miss God's greatest purpose in our lives. Because of disobedience. We will never know the incredible purpose of life, the mission and the consequence of that mission 
that God has for us because of disobedience. And the gods of this world scream at us. The God of materialism says, get all you can here because that's all there is. The God of popularity at school. I mean, would you believe it? Yes, they had high school when I was 17. And everybody wanted to be the homecoming queen. Everybody wanted to be the captain. Well, I didn't want to be the homecoming queen personally, but, but others did. Everybody wanted to be the captain of the football team. Everybody wanted to hang with the popular kids. We went through this too. And the gods of popularity and power and prestige scream at us. And men will break marriage vows. Women will break marriage vows. Girls will give their bodies away to some dude that wears a number on a jersey just to have the gods of this world. And it's not worth it. See, I'm not sure how far down the road, because ultimately David had to be king. But Saul lost the dynasty because of his disobedience. He lost his legacy, friend. And because of disobedience, we too can lose our legacy. So is, is obeying God important? Very, very important. Two levels. One, he's God. He's, he's Jesus who died for you. But two, in obedience, we find the abundant life that we're looking for. Now, Satan will lie to you and tell you that's not true. But like the word says, he is a liar and the father of it. So would you bow your heads right there? So how about it? How is your internet history? What does your checkbook say? What does your calendar say? What does your call log say on your cell phone? What does your Amazon account say? Your iTunes account say? What did the Guys and gals at work say about you when you're not there. Now, I'm talking about believers today. I'm talking about those who may not know Christ. What do they say? I know in America, you go to church three times a week, and the first thing we want to do is make you a deacon. And we're glad you go to church three times a week. But what does the rest of your life say? We'll never know the joy and the abundant life, the peace that God has for us until we're willing to totally surrender and totally obey. We're going to open the altar up this morning for two purposes. One is for us believers who maybe just need to come down here and say, okay, God, if you looked in my, in my life, there'd be some bleeding of sheep and there'd be some cows lowing. 
And um, God, it's time for me to, to kill him. It's time for me to obey. I'm thinking about that song, David, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, I know you, look, you listen to this message and you go, dude, it sounds like a bunch of rules to me. Oh, please don't hear that today. Knowing Jesus is the most incredible experience in the world. And life becomes worth living when he enters the picture. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we will invite you to come. And say, okay, I want to know this. I want to know this man who's worthy of falling, who's worthy of total surrender and obedience. Father, we love you today and we thank you so much for what you've done and what you're going to do. Thank you for the cross, that we were nobody and you made us somebody. Thank you that within the guidelines of your word, we find the abundant life. Help us to say no to the gods of this world who call us to a life of marginal obedience. And may we totally surrender to you. Have your way, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen.